Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Now today we are meeting with New York Times bestseller, Tommy Orange, whose new book There There has been adored by every literary critic under the sun and no less than Marlon James and Margaret Atwood. The book follows a collection of fascinating characters who are all on their way to celebrate a big powwow in Oakland. It kind of weaves together this huge array of Native American voices into this one kind of dynamic meta-narrative that is kind of almost like a life force pushing you through the book. It's a really unusual read and I was so excited to get to sit down with Tommy and chat to him about the novel. Uh, Before that though, we are going to play you a little extract from the audiobook that is available now. This extract is right from the beginning so it should give you a good taste of what's to come and then afterwards we're going to hear from Tommy himself. There was an Indian head. The head of an Indian. The drawing of the head of a head-dressed, long-haired Indian depicted. Drawn by an unknown artist in 1939. Broadcast until the late 1970s to American TVs everywhere, after all the shows ran out. It's called the Indian Head Test Pattern. If you left the TV on, you'd hear a tone at 440 hertz the tone used to tune instruments. And you'd see that Indian, surrounded by circles that looked like sights through rifle scopes. There was what looked like a bullseye in the middle of the screen, with numbers like coordinates. The Indian's head was just above the bullseye, like all you'd need to do was nod up an agreement to set the sights on the target. This was just a test. In 1621, Colonists invited Massasoit, the chief of the Wampanoags, to a feast after a recent land deal. Massasoit came with 90 of his men. That meal is why we still eat a meal together in November. Celebrated as a nation. But that one wasn't a Thanksgiving meal. It was a land deal meal. Two years later, there was another, similar meal meant to symbolize eternal friendship. 200 Indians dropped dead that night from an unknown poison. By the time Massasoit's son, Metacomet, became chief, there were no Indian pilgrim meals being eaten together. Metacomet, also known as King Philip, was forced to sign a peace treaty to give up all Indian guns. Three of his men were hanged. His brother, Wamsutta, was, let's say, very likely poisoned after being summoned and seized by the Plymouth Court. All of which led to the first official Indian War. The first war with Indians. King Philip's War. Three years later, the war was over and Metacomet was on the run. He was caught by Benjamin Church, the captain of the very first American Rangers, and an Indian by the name of John Alderman. Metacomet was beheaded and dismembered quartered. They tied his four body sections to nearby trees for the birds to pluck. Alderman was given Metacomet's hand, which he kept in a jar of rum and for years took around with him, charged people to see it. Metacomet's head was sold to Plymouth Colony for 30 shillings, the going rate for an Indian head at the time. The head was put on a spike, carried through the streets of Plymouth, then displayed at Plymouth Fort for the next 25 years. In 1637, anywhere from four to 700 Pequot gathered for their annual green corn dance, 
Colonists surrounded their village, set it on fire, and shot any Pequot who tried to escape. The next day, the Massachusetts Bay Colony had a feast and celebration, and the governor declared it a day of Thanksgiving. Thanksgivings like these happened everywhere, whenever there were what we have to call successful massacres. At one such celebration in Manhattan, people were said to have celebrated by kicking the heads of Pequot people through the streets like soccer balls. The first novel by a native person, and the first novel written in California, was written in 1854 by a Cherokee guy named John Rollin Ridge. The Life and Adventures of Joaquin Murrieta was based on a supposed real-life Mexican bandit from California by the same name, who was killed by a group of Texas Rangers in 1853. To prove they'd killed Murrieta and collect the $5,000 reward put on his head, they cut it off, kept it in a jar of whiskey. They also took the hand of his fellow bandit, Three-Fingered Jack. The Rangers took Murrieta's head and Jack's hand on a tour throughout California, charged a dollar for the show. The Indian head in the jar, the Indian head on a spike were like flags flown, to be seen, cast broadly, just like the Indian head test pattern was broadcast to sleeping Americans as we set sail from our living rooms over the ocean blue-green glowing airwaves to the shores, the screens of the new world. Rolling Head There's an old Cheyenne story about a rolling head. We heard it said there was a family who moved away from their camp, moved near a lake. Husband, wife, daughter, son. In the morning when the husband finished dancing, he would brush his wife's hair and paint her face red, then go off to hunt. When he came back, her face would be clean. After this happened a few times, he decided to follow her and hide, see what she did while he was gone. He found her in the lake with a water monster, some kind of snake thing, wrapped around her in an embrace. The man cut the monster up and killed his wife. He brought the meat home to his son and daughter. They noticed it tasted different. The son, who was still nursing, said, My mother tastes just like this. His older sister told him it's just deer meat. While they ate, a head rolled in. They ran and the head followed them. The sister remembered where they played, how thick the thorns were there, and she brought the thorns to life behind them with her words. But the head broke through, kept coming. Then she remembered where rocks used to be piled in a difficult way. The rocks appeared when she spoke of them, but didn't stop the head. So she drew a hard line in the ground, which made a deep chasm the head couldn't cross. But after a long, heavy rain, the chasm filled with water. The head crossed the water, and when it reached the other side, it turned around and drank all that water up. The rolling head became confused and drunk. It wanted more, more of anything, more of everything, and it just kept rolling. One thing we should keep in mind, moving forward, is that no one ever rolled heads down temple stairs. Mel Gibson made that up. But we do have in our minds those of us who saw the movie, the heads rolling down temple stairs in a world meant to resemble the real Indian world in the 1500s in Mexico. 
Mexicans before they were Mexicans, before Spain came. We've been defined by everyone else and continue to be slandered despite easy to look up on the internet facts about the realities of our histories and current state as a people. We have the sad, defeated Indian silhouette and the heads rolling down temple stairs. We have it in our heads. Kevin Costner saving us, John Wayne's six-shooter slaying us, an Italian guy named Iron Eyes Cody playing our parts in movies, we have the litter-morning, tear-ridden Indian in the commercial, also Iron Eyes Cody, and the sink-tossing, crazy Indian who is the narrator in the novel, the voice of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. We have all the logos and mascots. The copy of a copy of the image of an Indian in a textbook. All the way from the top of Canada, the top of Alaska, down to the bottom of South America, Indians were removed, then reduced to a feathered image. Our heads are on flags, jerseys, and coins. Our heads were on the penny first, of course, the Indian scent, and then on the buffalo nickel, both before we could even vote as a people. Which, like the truth of what happened in history all over the world, and like all that spilled blood from slaughter, are now out of circulation. Thank you so much, Tommy, for coming in to talk to us about your wonderful book. Um, I gather you've had quite the press tour so far. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done a lot. Thank you for having me. No, no problem. Um, so we lo love the book and obviously think it's incredible. What made you want to write it? What was the kind of catalyst? Because you teach creative writing, right? Um, what made you want to write this book? Which was well, I didn't teach before I started writing it. Okay. Um, I was I worked in Oakland um, in mental health. Um, various different capacities for almost 10 years and was trying to write that whole time um, I mean I guess I was writing but you know I didn't have any goal in mind and uh, when I found out I was gonna be a father um, I think it made me take writing a little more seriously and like if I wanted to do it as a career I should probably think about a book um, I'd been wanting to write a novel for a long time, but I never really even started one. So um, I think like a month after I found out I was going to be a father, uh, I thought of the idea for the book and then didn't start writing into it till a year after that because um, becoming a father was its own thing for yeah, a while. Yeah, that's its own project in itself. <laughs> Which is harder, parenting or writing? <laughs> it's, you know, um, they both have their joys and challenges yeah dreams um, and nightmares. <laughs> yeah my son is actually right about the same age as the book oh, wow. so it's been interesting to see to have both things happen. <laughs> yeah um what made you because there's obviously so many characters there's 12 characters right in this book that's that's like such an undertaking what made you want to write it from so many perspectives because it's quite an ambitious task and i think you've done it incredibly but there must have been so much like emotional labor in that yeah i mean i knew i before i even knew what book I wanted to write um I knew I wanted to write a multi-voiced novel um I just like having a dynamic range of experience and voice voicings um in one book and one singular vision I just like what that a chorus can do um so even just from a craft perspective I knew that I wanted to do that before I knew how I wanted to do it 
and they, they've all got such depth to them did you have to write a lot of their backstories that we don't get to see because obviously we only get glimpses and it's almost like a little bit like oh we want to know more <laughs> what happened to them then um did you have to write like there must be like an iceberg effect mm -hmm. like you had to write a lot to 